Welcome to the River of Life Church podcast, your home for weekly messages that will equip you in your spiritual growth. Thank you from everyone here at ROLC and enjoy the sermon. For three weeks, we've been taking a journey together, haven't we? My series I began three weeks ago, Let There Be Light. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Book of Genesis. When God began this earth, the first thing he created was what? Light. Let there be light. The second time he said let there be light was 2,000 years ago in a Bethlehem stable. And when God's son, taking on human form, drew his first, first breath, he said, let there be light. And the light of his presence has continued. Think about it. Two millenniums. And, and, and people have tried to stop the message of Jesus, but unsuccessfully. It's faced opposition. It's faced persecution. People have lost their lives, and yet the message continues. That's because you can't hide the light. Amen? Amen. And you'll never stop the plan of Almighty God. So today, I'll be concluding this series I began three weeks ago. And it's important to understand that as we take and celebrate and come into this Christmas season, just one week and a day from now, can you believe that? Time flies. I remember when it was January uh, the 1st of this year, and now here we are coming to the end. A lot has happened during that year. Some good things, some challenging things. But aren't you glad God is still on the throne? Even when it's tough, when it's difficult, He is always on the throne. And if we'll call upon His name, He'll give us wisdom, He'll give us direction. He'll bring the answers we need, not always the answers we want, but always what we need in order to make it to that next place of what He desires to do, not only in us, but through us. But it's important to understand that the birth of Jesus was more than a, about a baby in a manger 2,000 years ago. It wasn't about a birth of a baby, it was about the birth of a king, the birth of Messiah. When's the last time a child, a baby, has been a threat to anyone? In the natural, physical form, children, babies, are completely vulnerable. So they can't do hand-to-hand combat, right? Can you imagine that? Maybe with the special effects in in the computer generation, they could show a baby doing hand-to-hand combat, but in the natural, it's not happening. But yet, what was so challenging of this baby boy that was born in that manger? It's because a king was born that night. And when he was born, that king, his presence shook the very foundations of hell. Satan knew what he was up against. He knew to a degree what he was about to face. And everything within his power, his ability, he's restricted obviously, amen? God is unrestricted power. But the devil has limitations. Why? You ever think about that? Why? People sometimes equate the devil on the same level with God. You know, it's not the truth. Satan has limitations because he's created. Anything that's created has no omni about it. No all in all. No omnipotence, you know, all power. No omniscience, all knowing. Do you know the scripture is very clear? The devil cannot read your thoughts. How many really believe that? The devil does not know your thoughts. Nowhere in the Bible does it teach that. It does teach in Scripture that only God, everybody say only God. God. 
Only God knows the thoughts and the intents of a man or a woman's a person's heart. So Satan doesn't know what's in your mind unless you speak it. So the devil has limitations, but not God. And a baby in a manger was no threat, but that king who he would one day grow to become, that's what challenged all of the kingdom of darkness. And since Bethlehem, there has been that never-ending effort to do what? Remove Christ from Christmas. And, and it's not just about removing a name. It's about removing a message. It's about removing a narrative. It's about removing hope. It's about removing truth. Look at how crazy this world is right now. Look at all that's happening around the world in our nation. I mean, we, there are people who are so underqualified leading the world nations. They're mo making the most idiotic decisions I have ever known in my short lifetime of 67 plus years. And things that are very simple and easy have become difficult. Why? Because when you remove God, you remove common sense. You remove truth. Truth is what prevails, not ideologies. And so when he was born in that stable, Satan was under the gun. What was promised thousands of years prior to Abraham through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. It now was in motion, had come to pass. I mean, Jesus, Messiah, had arrived. So when word began to spread... King Herod, he receives word when the wise men were on their journey to see the Christ child. And so what Herod did after they left, he had every child two years of age and younger because he did his math. He researched how old, if this child was born during that time span, that frame, what he would be now. So two years of age and younger, as was prophesied in Scripture, that the mothers of Bethlehem would be weeping. The women in Israel would travail and grieve. And Herod, because he wanted no one to usurp his throne, the king of Israel, Jerusalem, he then had every child two years of age and younger put to death. Can you imagine that? As a parent, breaking into your home, you're on the streets headed back from the marketplace possibly. You tell your husband, I have to pick up a few things at the grocery store. You're coming back, you get out of the car to go into the grocery store, and your child right before you is murdered. That's the atrocities that Satan was willing to go to the ends and beyond in order to stop Messiah. Then the Roman Empire, they, they tried to stop Messiah when they nailed him to a cross. The religious leaders, they tried to stop Messiah by by denying his resurrection from the dead. Since the very beginning, even before Jesus had given birth from Mary's womb, Joseph had to constantly be mobile and on the move. Why? Because of the threat of that child being aborted even before its birth. Satan was dreaded the day this promise would come to fulfillment. Nations now have tried to stop the Christ of Christmas by outlawing his teachings and even in certain countries having their followers, his followers put to death. Do you know there are some nations I travel and there are some nations around this world where you can't even bring a Bible into it? You'll be arrested. 
imprisoned. Some people, if you mention the name of Jesus in certain nations, they'll take your life right there if they have the opportunity. All because of the Christ. Satan's strategy to stop the message of God's love through a Redeemer, a Savior. Most recently, you know there's been a protest against candy canes? Sounds idiotic, doesn't it? People are opposed to candy canes because they're shaped like the letter J for Jesus. A candy cane is just a replica of a shepherd's crook. Right? Get back in line. You ever have God grab you with his crook? Get back in line. Thank God for his crook. And so people, this animosity, where's the hatred come from? They tolerate all these other religions, but just something about Jesus, those evangelicals, those Christians, those born-againers, people hate that word born again, even in the Christian circles in some areas, when the person who coined that phrase is Jesus himself. How can you argue with his words? Right? You better have a come back, come back to Jesus moment to get that theology straightened out. Amen? Banning of nativity scenes, certain cities. Making some places take down Christmas lights. Anything that speaks of Jesus. Satan enrages, inflames the hearts of people. They're under a spiritual, a spiritual control that they don't even recognize. I found that people want the celebration without a Savior. They want the manger without a Messiah. Doesn't work that way, does it? And you'll find without Christ, there is no Christmas. There's only a Mass, a gathering, but no Christ at the center. Let's read his story as found in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. Now, I encourage everyone to bring your Bibles. Pull your device out. Follow along. Some people say, oh, I don't like to read the Bible. I can't find where the chapters and verses are. Well, the more you use it, the more you'll be familiar with it. Amen? I remember when I first started. Do you know where? When I got saved this January, I'll be 50 years old in Jesus. When I got saved, do you know what I did? Table of Contents. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, Matthew, Mark, Luke. You go, look up the page number. I used to read years ago when people would uh, use the same type of Bibles, I'd give the page number to help people get there. But then when people started getting different versions, the uh, one page number might put them in Mark and another one put them in Luke. So, uh, I've learned, just get familiar with the book. Amen. Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, 8 through 14. Now there were in the same country shepherds, living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Do you know every time God shows up and He speaks, when it's genuinely Him, it's overwhelming. It can be a fearful moment. And do you know God always dispels, dismisses fear? And the first thing he did when he appeared to these shepherds, he said, don't be afraid. 
Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly, don't you love those suddenly moments? When God does a suddenly, it's recognizable. And suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying what? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Without notice, the heavens opened. These shepherds, multi-generational, they were doing the same thing over and over and over and over again that their great-great-great-great-grandfathers, in fact, all the way from Jacob, who then became Israel, they were herdsmen. And from generation to generation, they were out in the fields at night, sleeping with the sheep, sleeping with the flocks. Why? To protect them from predators and from harm. So this was a night just like any other night from their perspective, but not from God's. Heaven was preparing for a party, a celebration. Do you remember when your first child, those of you who are parents, your first child was born? For those of you who have adopted, when you adopted your first child, remember the joy? That first grandchild, hallelujah. That first grandson for me raising all daughters. And my first grandson even has my name as a part of his name, Brian Craig. That's a nice ring to it, don't you think? His dad and his granddad. And so there they were just keeping watch over the flocks, just like any other night. And all of a sudden, without notice, the heavens opened. That which the prophets had spoken millenniums prior was now coming to pass. The birth of Messiah, what had it done? His birth had penetrated the darkness with what? The increase of light. Remember when God created light, let there be, and it was. And that the second time, he released light. It was at the birth of his son. And the testimony of this miracle, do you know where it began? It began first with the angels. All of heaven had been waiting for this moment. Think about it. If you go back to the book of Genesis, when God re- took and restored this earth and he said, let there be light and there was light, there were six days of nonstop miracle working ability. All of heaven just marveled. No one could do what God does. He's creator. He can bring something from nothing. And then finally, on the sixth day, Scripture says he did with mankind that he didn't do with any other part of creation. All the other creations that happened during that time period, God spoke into existence. But in Genesis 2-7, I brought this out in the series, God reached down into the dust of the earth, the clay. And he didn't speak man into existence. He didn't say, let there be man, and there was man. He reached down to the dirt of the earth, making clay. And with his own hands, he fashioned man. And then drew woman from his side, taking his rib. God put his hands on man because man would be different from all other parts of creation. 
created in his image, body, soul, and then something no other part of creation except mankind has, the human spirit. A spirit that is that room that God has designated in every human being for his Holy Spirit, God himself, to take up residence. Some of you, when people come to visit, you have a room for them at that, at that place, and they can stay in that room while they're with you. Well, God put a room in us, a spiritual room that's made and designed only for Him, only for Him. All of the angels, they marveled and said, we've never seen this. Do you know the Bible says even to this day, angels look on human beings and they look at us and they marvel? Why? Because we have the capacity for something that no other part of creation, even the angelic host, will ever encounter and experience. God himself living in us. Angels can still fall. But with man, once we come to know our Savior, that's why Jesus came, his Holy Spirit, we were always designed for him to reside, abide, and dwell within us. So the angels, this was the climax when they saw the Lord finally complete this creation called man and male and female gender. No gender uh, confusion with God, amen? amen? And that's why when the fall took place, and when God, for a period of time, from man's perspective, lost that relationship with his creator. That intimacy, that ability to be one with him. The angels now knew that God would finish the miracle he had always intended to complete. That's why when the angels appeared and they gave this message, what did they say in Luke 2.11? For there is born to you this day in the city of David. Three things. Three titles these angels announce. It says, a Savior, the first, who is Christ, the second, the Lord, the third. First, the angel calls him Savior. Why? Because he's deliverer. He's healer. Then the angel calls him what? Christ, because he's anointed. He's Messiah and has the power to bring this salvation, this deliverance, this healing. And then when the angel calls him Lord, the Greek word kurios, he's saying the reason he is deliverer and healer and the reason he's able to carry the anointing as Messiah is because he's Lord, the all-authoritative one. That's important. People can speak about themselves anything they want, but it doesn't make it true. But when God sends his messengers, angelos, angels, and they proclaim his message, they're just a carrier. They're just like a parrot repeating what they've heard. God had sealed this by allowing His Son to take on human form. Savior, Christ, and Lord. You see, these three declarations were divine because they really spoke something about Jesus that the nation of Israel wasn't expecting and waiting for. See, they were waiting for Messiah. We all understand that. And honestly, those who are not Messianic are still waiting for Messiah. 
But the reason they missed it with Christ appearing is because they were looking for a king like David. It wasn't enough that Jesus came from his lineage, at least through his father's bloodline. Remember, Jesus was the seed of God and the egg of God. And as a surrogate mother can carry the seed and egg of, of, of a man and a woman, and then it can be implanted into the woman, and then they give birth, but it has nothing to do with their seed nor their egg. That's what Mary served as. She was the nest that held the egg of God. And then when God said it was time, it was time. But God himself purposely chose Joseph as much as he chose Mary. Because it had to follow that bloodline from David to that present time. But when Jesus finally became of age, they were thinking, okay, he will be a military leader, a military giant. Remove the oppression and the thumb of, of Rome from off of them. And they would be able to have their city again, their nation again, and their temple again to worship as they please. Without the scrutiny of the Roman Empire. And so when Jesus came, he didn't come the first time. He's coming again. Somebody say amen. amen. But the first time he came, he came as the Son of Man and the Son of God. He didn't come to bring political deliverance. He came to bring spiritual deliverance, which then would lead to one day. Everybody say one day political deliverance. He will rule and reign and of his kingdom. Isn't that what the scriptures say? There'll be no end. Man, I can't wait for that. But until then, I'm going to do my part. How about you? It was quiet. How about you? All right. I was about to pray for your salvation. Look at Luke 2, verses 13 and 14. Here are the shepherds. There they are. And the angels are continuing with this message. Remember, the message of Messiah began with the angels. After the angel by himself finished his part, then it says in Luke 2, 13 and 14, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, here's three more things again, peace, goodwill toward men. Peace means freedom from the conflict of war, not only outwardly in a human kingdom, but most importantly, a spiritual freedom from spiritual war and conflict. I've seen more people destroyed after the battlefield than because of the battlefield, where their minds and spiritual oppression set in, people wrestling with loneliness and fear. Self-condemnation, low esteem, addictions that become coping skills, homes and families being torn apart, all because of the spiritual war and conflict. Whereas when Jesus came, he saw, he knew the political climate, he got it. But he knew the primary focus of his first coming was to deal with the spiritual part once and for all. Once and for all, he would seal the deal. Peace, freedom from war and conflict. Then he says goodwill. 
You know what goodwill is? Goodwill is the favor of God. I'm going to give you some sound advice. Don't pray for money. Don't pray for all the material things, success and advancement. Nothing wrong with those things. But never make that your first prayer. Never. Pray for favor. Lord, I pray that your favor would be upon my life. You know what the favor of God will do? The favor of God will bless you in your academia. The favor of God will bless you in your relationships. The favor of God will bless you on the business, on the business field. When you'll just have favor with people that like you, you'll be able to finalize deals. You know, the favor of God will cause your personality to be noticed. The favor of God will cause your skills and abilities and your knowledge to be recognized. When you have the favor of God, you've got everything. Amen. The Bible says the favor of God lasts a lifetime. That means this preacher is taking the favor of God all the way to the grave. Amen? When I'm an old, 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 old man. Favor. And then it says toward all men. Peace, goodwill, God's favor, toward all men. That tells us that God's grace knows new boundaries. From the most decadent of sinners to the most pious and pompous individual, to the peasant, to the dignitary. This favor and this peace is for all men. What's that tell us? We all need a Savior. Everybody look at the person next to you, in front of you, behind you, and say, you need a Savior. Right? Some of you can say, already found him. Already found him. You see, God loves us on an equal plane. And I'm so happy for that because one thing, I'm very hard on myself. I, I, I'm a perfectionist in many ways. That's my greatest strength and my greatest weakness. So I seek to do everything with excellence. But if something doesn't meet my standard at times, for myself, I'm talking about myself. I never portray this or put this on others. I'm talking about me. Then I feel like I've let God down. Oh, Lord. I feel like I let you down. I could have done that better. Could have done this, done that. You know, God just takes us as we are. He loves us. He uses us. And some of you, if you feel like, oh, if you could just hit redo and, and just do life over again, then I would do this, 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 and that. Can't hit redo, obviously, right? But through Christ, we can learn from the old and apply it to the new. Amen? That's sort of like a redo, only with the wisdom of yesterday. Amen. I've always said to my wife, I wish I could just start over all, all again, right, only with all of the knowledge and experience I've acquired through the years and just do this again. But I wouldn't have what I have now if it wasn't for that journey prior. And the same is true for all of you and those of you worshiping online. It's called living life. And so when Messiah came, he came to bring this peace. He wanted to release us, free us from this conflict, this spiritual war, this mental war. The devil attacks our bodies at times with sickness and disease. He came to break the back of sickness and disease and infirmity. That's his word. And then when we see this favor that he's promised, and no matter what road we've walked, no matter how unworthy we feel we are, this favor's for all people, if we'll call upon him. That kind of a message changes people 
changed me. And guess what else? It also changed the shepherds. The shepherds. Can you imagine what those shepherds must have been thinking and feeling when the heavens opened up? Here, one angel. Maybe we had some big goat milk, right? But then the whole heavens, every, there's a multitude. What is a multitude of infinity? So that was some choir, don't you think? And here they are, all of a sudden, doing the same thing they've done from generations, taking over the Father's family business time and time and time again. And now heaven opens. Obviously, this was not an everyday occurrence. And look at their reaction found in Luke 2.15. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, that'll make you talk. Don't you think you go through what they just did? You're going to have something to talk about. And they said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. What they just went through was life-changing. And because of what they went through, they had something to say. They had a message. And so much was this life-changing that it motivated the shepherds to go and see firsthand what the angels had said. They knew there was no denying what they had just encountered. And so think about making that journey, whether they left the flocks there, whether they took them with them, Making that journey, there was a sacrifice involved. But what they had just encountered was so real, they couldn't stay where they are. And that's what usually happens when you have an encounter with the Lord. When I encountered Him, just like many of you and those of you watching online, it's so overwhelming, so real, you just can't stay where you are. You can't stay the same. Our values have to change. Our morality has to change. Our priorities have to be reorganized. If we really love the Lord and we really encounter Him, then we're going to change. It won't be business as usual. And that's the way it was for these shepherds. It wasn't business as usual. They had to go and see personally. The message of the angels, you know what it did? It created a chain reaction. What began with the angels then went to the shepherds. And then when the shepherds experienced this life-changing word, it continued through them because we see in Luke 2.17, now when they had seen him, Speaking to the shepherds, seeing the Christ child, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. They were impacted. The angel's message changed their lives. They went and saw, and now it had solidified, becoming even more a part of them. And then what they had seen and heard became their dialogue. They continued to share what God had told them through the angels and shared what they had seen with their own eyes. They wanted others to experience what they had encountered. And that's what happens. You know why I tell people about Jesus? Well, so you grow your church. No. I tell people about Jesus because I know what he did for me. And if someone doesn't give people hope, they're going to be devastated by life. And if they never confess Christ, they're going to spend an eternity in hell. I don't want that blood on my hands. But forget about me. I don't want anyone to go to a place that was never created for them. So when God brings opportunity, I share Jesus. My oldest daughter was in California on business. She called me just, just this past week. 
And then there was a, a corporate executive with her, so she wanted to introduce me to him. So she introduced me to him, and I started talking to the guy. Began with golf. Golf is always a segue. Then <laughs> I, I, I said, Lord, you, you had this phone call happen for more than just golf. So I began to tell this guy how I found Christ as my Savior. Why I'm a preacher of the gospel, how God has been faithful to me through the valleys, through the mountains. I just had church over the phone. Virtual church, amen, without the video. See, if we don't tell them, who will? And honestly, segues are so easy, but sometimes, I don't know about you, but the devil tries to hammer me with embarrassment. I never listen to it because I know it's from him. But I refuse to be embarrassed, for I'm not ashamed. Isn't that what Paul said? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Amen. Amen. For it's the power of God unto salvation. So I'm not ashamed. Amen. No more my grandson was with us. Uh, two of my grandsons and our granddaughter, we were watching the kids while uh, our daughter Heather and her husband Brian were away vacationing for a couple of days, having some mommy, daddy, husband, wife time. And so one night, my grandson started telling me about at the end of baseball season, how they had like for all the coaches, a hitting contest. And then he said, when my daddy got up, he goes, Pop? He was crushing it. I was so proud of him. He just got a boy. And my grandson's a good athlete. He just, his dad's been teaching him. And bang, he just hit that ball. And everybody was looking. And there was one guy that thought he knew all it was to know about baseball, was saying you should do this, this, and this, and that. And then my daddy just got up there and pow, he crushed it. So what was my grandson doing? What he had seen, what he had heard. He wasn't ashamed to talk about his father. And we need to be the same way for Jesus. Don't be ashamed. Man, look at what he's done. Sure, life is hard. I get it. I got it. I've been there, done that. Still doing life. But God's so much bigger. And like David said, I was young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their seed begging bread. When I was sick, he's been faithful to heal me. Every time. When I had financial needs, he was faithful to provide. Every time, whether personally, for ministries I've been a part of over the years, I have never, like David, I love David. He was, he, was, he was a real person. He had imperfections. He had cracks in his pot, right? But yet, he loved God. Something kept driving him towards the Lord. And that's where you got to be. Sometimes people make a mistake. They give up on themselves. Don't be that way. God hasn't given up on you. And that's why it, whatever we can do to better ourselves so we can continue and learn, we do it. We do it. And that's why the shepherds, they were the peasants of peasants. They were the lowest class of all of the Israel people. But yet God went to them. And they did not allow their position, their class level, to affect them from sharing the message. And you know what happened? Because the shepherds were not ashamed, their story affected the world. Why do you think we're here today? Why do you think next weekend is Christmas Eve, next, next uh, Monday is Christmas Day? It's because their message made a difference. You see, the shepherds 
were willing to change their world. Did you hear that? I didn't say the world. I said their world. Do you know you all have your world, right? Your world of influence where you go to school or where you work, where you live, your circle of friends. Everybody has that circle. It could be a big one. It could be a smaller one. But you still have your world. And in your world, you are a voice of influence to those within that same circle. It's what you do in that circle that matters. And the shepherds, they chose to do something for the Lord. Luke 2, 17, 18. Now when they had seen him, the shepherds seen Jesus, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Their message made a difference. People knew there's no way they could have made this up. Maybe one, maybe two, but all of them. Odds against that statistically are high that that was not possible. They were not making up the message they were sharing. You know, I, I, I believe if we'll do like the shepherds, there's people that will listen. But another thing I believe is one of the reasons why the world has lost sight of Christmas is because Christians have fallen short in telling their story in their world. God's not saying you have to go to Siberia. That used to be a running joke when all of us were going through Bible school and a lot of my friends, we all got saved around the same time. And, and, and one of the running jokes, we would say, the Lord is going to come to you tonight and say, go to Siberia. And people say, I don't want to go to Siberia. Scott Wesley Brown, a friend of mine, uh, wrote a Christian song, you know, you know, so you want to go to Africa. Lord, don't take me to Africa. Some of you may remember that song. God is not necessarily taking us to Siberia or Africa. He's just taking us to our world, our sphere of influence. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16. He says, let your light so shine. He didn't just say, let your light shine. He said, let it so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. Where? In heaven. What we do is not for people around us. Hey, I shared with 35 people this week. What you do? No, you don't do it for those around you. You do it for your Father in heaven. Amen that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. What is that telling us? It's telling us that God wants us, just like the title of this message today, to increase the light. Not to be obnoxious, not to be a freak show, but just living life in your world and making a difference. Turning on the light. Telling your story. Inviting people to church for Christmas Eve. Telling people what your life used to be and what God has done in it now. Trust me, people are waiting for someone to speak. That's why I've said what we say and what we do makes an eternal difference. It's a fact. What we say, either positive or negative, and what we do carries an eternal weight of difference. The light of Christmas was celebrated by the angels. The light of Christmas was celebrated by the shepherds. And because of the light of Christmas, 
we are celebrating as a world. Trust me, God has not lost control of anything. And I believe now more than ever, it's time to turn up the light. The miracle that began in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago has forever changed this world. But here's the question that we all need to ask ourselves. Are we allowing this miracle to change us? That's where change is most powerful, in us. One person at a time. It's time to increase the light. Amen? Amen. That means confessing Christ, Jesus, as your Savior, your Messiah, and your Lord. And when this happens, that's when our lives are transformed. I just thank God for what He's doing in my life, what He's done in my life, and I'm excited about what He will do yet in my life. That's why every day, don't get distracted. Stay focused. Sometimes it's very, very busy between a family, a job, other concerns, negativities that happen, but stay focused. Stay focused. And just say, Lord, Increase the light in my life so that I can see your ways and see you clearly. That'll get rid of all the confusion, all of the fear. God will put things in his perspective. Amen? And then the miracle. And then the miracle. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening to the River of Life Church podcast. Subscribe and rate us right now on iTunes to be first to get access to new audio messages every week. Visit rolcdoylestown.org or like us on Facebook to always stay up to date on what's going on at ROLC. If you would like to support this ministry, visit the online giving page at our website. Join us next time for more from River of Life Church.